0: Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us. As we
1: explore the mysteries of scripture. The realm of God. And freedom through Christ. So
0: spread out those wings. And slither in place. Because this is is Snakebird. Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a fresh episode of the cast. In today's profile episode, we're focusing our discussion on an Old Testament character with a fascinating story of loss, love, redemption, and handing someone a shoe. So I have to ask... Stephen, who are you profiling today?
1: All right, Snakebirds, we are again honored to be with you today, and the profile is going to be a spicy profile, because it's a little bit of a love story, it's got a little bit of everything in it. Spicy. And we don't see a ton of time given to women characters in the Bible, and in this story we see an entire book that plays out like a modern day Hallmark movie set on a like a Montana ranch or something. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you... that's where my country
0: mind goes. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby, with, uh, with a Hallmark movie? This is so much better
1: than that. It is. Well, I've never been much for chick flicks, but this story is really an exception to the rule for me. And it's it's a good one. It is the story of and book of Ruth.
0: Yes. Uh, one of two books in the Bible named after women uh, can uh, put you on the spot. Can you name the other one right off the top of your head? Yes, but since you put me on the spot, I can't remember it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Josh. Uh, Esther. Esther. Yeah, that's it. So I am going to tease this for the end of this profile, but something in this book broke my brain. Something that I've never seen before that sent me down a long rabbit hole, probably much longer than it needed to be. But it is essential to know because it, at first looked, seemed like the Bible had a huge mistake in it right there. Yeah. So uh, I would have just... guessed a rabbit hole in the book of Ruth. R- oh, see me neither. I yeah. was like, what? I- I've never seen this before. And uh I just wanted to tease that for at the end of the episode where it will be revealed. Yes. Stay yeah. tuned on what broke my brain.
1: I've never seen it before either. Josh and I obviously talked before we started recording, yeah. but yeah, that's it's, it's quite a, it's quite a deal. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. I said, Look at this. This is crazy. So rabbit hole central. Yeah. So I wanted to give some context for the book of Ruth. Uh, this story takes place during the time of the judges, and uh, a lot of historians and theologians have it at around 1100 B.C. Uh, they piece that together based on where uh, David is born and also um, during the time of the judges. Uh, they think that it's actually taking place during Judges chapter 10, where the current judge uh, seated would be a guy named Jair, Jair. And he's famous as a judge uh, for having 30 sons who rode 30 camels. My word. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, oh, well, okay, that's his claim to fame. Uh, And all this takes place before the monarchy is established in Israel. And we also know that during this period, the book of Judges tells us several times that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So while this story is not necessarily filled with war and battles and idolatry, which is your typical judge's fare, This account does revolve around a nation in disarray and not necessarily walking with or in the favor of God. And uh, we find that, especially as we get in right at the beginning with our main character that we meet, which is uh, Ahimelech, right? Yes, that's right. And...
1: Elimelech. I'm going to say that wrong so many times. It's oh. not even funny, but we, we will do our best. Um, yeah, and there's there's basically there's a famine in the land, isn't yes. there, Josh? Yes, and it causes this um, man of Bethlehem in Judah. He went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. Yeah, because I mean, obviously they're trying to escape starvation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Did I do that justice, Josh? Uh, the C H would have that K sound. So oh, Chilion, Chilion, K- okay. yeah. Melon and Chilion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did yeah, there. I was, trying, I was like, "What is he doing?" <laughs> Yeah. very nice yeah so they uh yeah they're headed to they're headed to uh Moab to to escape the famine and we have this family the patriarch Elimelech he decides to take his family to the land of Moab which is a pagan land due to the drought in their homeland and uh, you know i think of Jacob like with his 12 sons and all of the people that followed him as a mm-hmm. leader as they is you know because there was a famine in that situation too that's just yes. something that happened And um, it's important to remember in these days, the family system was kind of a nuclear family um, where the patriarch was the head and even the sons, even as as a lot of them were grown up and older, they'd still move around with their dad Mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of how that worked.
0: Yes. And you have Elimelech right here uh, making this decision. And like you said, he made it for the family. And a lot of people wonder if it's the right thing, because like you mentioned, um, Jacob did move with his family out of the, the land of Canaan to Egypt during a famine, which we realized that God was doing because it was like their incubator yeah. to let them grow as a nation. But I don't know in this scenario if it was the best idea. I did find this, um, talking about to get to Moab, it said that they would have to hike through the desolate Jericho Pass, through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, going across the Jordan River into the land of Moab. This was a definite departure from the promised land of Israel, a return towards the wilderness from which God had delivered Israel hundreds of years before. These were clearly steps in the wrong direction. So we know that whoever wrote this paragraph had very strong feelings about his departure. And I feel like for Um, Ahimelech, there was that moment of doubt of saying, is God going to provide? Because it seems like the Moabites have plenty to eat, whereas we're in a famine. Yeah. But you have to wonder if that is a um, reaction to what's going on spiritually in the nation of Israel because God had made those promises that says, if you serve me, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to make sure that the the rains come at the right season and that you're going to have food. But if you forsake me then you're going to have times of leanness and times of um, things not going the way that you think they should be. And so I don't know if this is a national departure from um, spiritually following God and then Ahimelech is just on the receiving end of that or uh, if he really is making the right decision to take his family out. Because when you look at what Bethlehem means, it actually means house of bread. Yeah. So there's some irony right there.
1: Yeah, for sure. So but, you know, in attempts of escaping the drought, they chose a pagan territory. Mm-hmm. You know, a territory where they they had to know their sons would take wives with pagan people. Yes, which, which was forbidden. Uh-huh. And this could almost be considered a trade of of a harder righteous path for an easier pagan path. Yeah,
0: just you know, in not trusting God
1: and all that you said.
0: Yeah. So I I looked at Moab, and uh, of course, we can trace it all the way back to a pretty sketchy situation, because Moab descended out of uh, Lot. And if you remember, there was a really sad situation where he was in a cave, and his daughter thought that the end of the world had happened, and so she tricked her dad. And basically, out of this incestuous um, offspring comes two nations, the Edomites and the Moabites. And they're both like um, weird cousins of the Israelites. And they're supposed to be getting along, but they don't. Yeah. And uh, if you remember our Balaam uh, profile, there was that king named Balak. Do you know what nation he was the king over? Moab. Okay. And then uh, we find out later that (laughs) in Psalm 108, God refers to Moab as his washpot pot. That's a more flowery way of saying his toilet bowl. <laughs> he, he,
1: <laughs> wow. He,
0: yeah, he he has a very strong feeling about them. One commentator said that Moab was born in a cave and that they'll die in the grave. I believe that's found in Zechariah.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's some crazy history. Right?
0: And then in the midst of all of this, we find that um, the Israelites during the time of Judges, in Judges chapter 3, were actually oppressed by the Moabites for 18 years. Wow. And uh, we're going to talk more about that in just a second. But I just, uh, there's a lot of history. And and to think that... um, Ahimelech would actually choose to go and live in a foreign nation, a Gentile country. It was kind of crazy because the way that a lot of Jews saw Gentiles was that if you were walking down the street and you accidentally brushed your clothes, accidentally brushed up against the Gentile, you would have to go home immediately, take off your clothes, burn them, take a bath, get dressed again, and then go on your way. Oh, yeah. So there was some, I mean, of course, that that's not the right way to view any people groups, but there was some definite compromise in what his spiritual upbringing would have been for him to go and to move there. And I noticed that it did say a sojourn. So I think in his mind, it was only supposed to be for a short amount of time. Yeah. But because he did this, it turned into 10 tragedy-filled years for his family because he didn't even make it.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, it, you mentioned Lot. It's almost like in the Moab came from Lot. That's kind of crazy because mm-hmm. it's almost like the temptation of Lot. This, 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 oh, um, yeah. wanting to go to a foreign land to to a sinful people mm-hmm. to sojourn there. You know. Yeah. So that, that's pretty that's pretty wild history.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned that uh, Bethlehem meant house of bread. Well, Elimelech's name means God is my king. And again, there's some irony there where it's like, God is my king, but I'm also (laughs) heading over to this pagan nation to see if I can get um, fulfillment there or bread there or sustenance, whatever you might call it. Uh, I also wanted to mention the kids' names because I thought those were really interesting. And I struggle with this because I found one commentary, uh, and, and I guess his name is Hessian. Who completely uh, interprets these names differently than somebody named Jacinius's lexicon? Okay. So let me give you two, and and I know which ones I think actually fit them more properly. So Hesion, uh, Hesion, whatever you want to say this, he um, says that Kilion's name means satisfaction, and that Melon's name means song which it sounds like those would be good interpretations of what their names mean. Now, if you go, um, and you're on the, the lexicon, uh, the Jessenius, you have Malon, his name means sick and oh, wow. Killian's name means wasting away. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking that is, that's interesting, especially considering it's like you're enduring a famine. And yeah. but I don't know any parents that would be like, let's name our kids sick. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, we've heard some parents name their children some pretty bad stuff in the Bible, so it could go either way. Yeah,
0: yeah, I just, I thought that was really fascinating. That is.
1: Well, so the crazy thing is, next in the story, um, when they get there to Moab, Elimelech decides to just up and die after moving his entire (laughs) family to Moab. Pretty, pretty inconsiderate, if you ask me. But yes. uh, that's yeah. that's what happens. And we're told the family, like you said, ended up staying there um, in Moab for ten years, and the sons did, in fact, take for themselves uh, Moabite women for wives, mm-hmm. um, which we're going to find out are Orpah and Ruth, right,
0: Josh? Yes, it's it's a fun way to say Oprah, but it's yeah. not. <laughs> well, did you
1: know the history behind that? No. Oprah was actually named after Orpah. Oh. That's her actual name, Orpah. Oh. And her family was never able to pronounce Orpah, so oh. they just called her Oprah. But she was actually named after Orpah in the Book of Ruth.
0: Really? I did yeah. not know that.
1: Pretty crazy. Wow. So, anyway, it's a little worthless knowledge for you, listener. And... um yeah, it's pretty wild. They uh they get there. Elimilek uh, decides, you know, to up and die, and that's that's just a pretty pretty terrible thing to do, right? How right. How you do you this your, to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it might be like an an instant red flag that this move might not have been the best idea. Yeah,
0: rude. <laughs> For real. He decides to up and die, and yeah, I guess it's one of those situations where you're like, well, I I had a plan, but. Maybe this wasn't what God wanted to do. And, and Naomi, poor poor wife, he's, she's like, what am I supposed to do? I did want to mention, you said Orpah, which always makes me think of the sea. I think of because uh, killer whales, like Orca. Orca, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, Orpah and Ruth. I wanted to mention what their names meant because uh, Orpah... It could either mean gazelle, which I thought was cool because, you know, we talked about Tabitha or Dorcas. Uh, We did a profile on her in the New Testament, which her name meant gazelle. But another translation, which I, you know, some of these guys don't agree necessarily on what their names mean. Uh, It said either youthful or immature, which um, the commentary I read on the one that said her name meant immature, he kind of drilled in on that because we'll find out later on. She makes a choice. And yeah. and it seems like it could have been the immature one versus what Ruth did. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ruth's uh, name means either beauty or friendship. And a lot of uh, theologians agree that friendship is like basically what her name means. And Sounds about right. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a really neat deal because of um, the way that this story transpires. I did want to mention one just random thing that I've never heard uh, today that I found about the Hebrew commentary called the Midrash is that scholars uh, generally agree that Ruth was actually the daughter of Eglon the king of Moab who is mentioned in Judges chapter 3 there's a story I always call it one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I'm left-handed and the guy who is the hero is left-handed his name is Ehud and he straps a dagger to his thigh and he goes to deliver a message to the king and and he's like I have something that I need to tell only to the king and so he goes in there and he stabs the guy and apparently the guy is rather robust and the sword gets stuck into his uh his gullet or his belly, and it stays there, and then his like entrails pop out or whatever. And yeah, Ehud, Ehud escapes, but apparently all these guys agree that Ruth is actually Moabite royalty. Wow, that, from the
1: family of that king. Yeah, yeah, perhaps and his daughter.
0: Exactly. Wow. Yeah, I, I have no idea if that's true or not. I just find that fascinating. If that really is the the real deal.
1: For real. Mm-hmm. I wonder how he felt about her having the hots for foreigners that just <laughs> yeah. came to the land. And yeah. She
0: married one of these guys that... And then eventually forsaking it. Yeah. You know, sorry. Spoiler. Well, yeah. Well, that's pretty much where we go next, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. it's It ends up being just a, a terrible um, hardship for the family over 10 years. Um, Naomi's husband is dead. Um, their two sons are dead. And it's it's left these these three women, these widowed women... In the land of Moab. And, um, Remember, women did not have much power in these ancient times, so it was a very male-dominated culture. And so this was quite a predicament for Mm -hmm. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Yes. It was a pretty bad deal.
0: Yeah, to be a childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. There was no one to support you, and you had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation.
1: Yeah, it really was. And they were stuck there. And the cool thing is Naomi hears that back in her original land of Judah, it's no longer in a drought. Mm -hmm. And so um, she plans to head back home. And I think it would be cool to just read verse 8, what she says to her two daughters-in-law that that are now widowed. Yeah, Uh, Verse 8 says... But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find a place of rest, each one of you, in the house of her husband. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, listen, our time has expired here. I'm going to go home. My husband's dead. Your husbands are dead. I'm going to go back to my people. Y'all go back to your people.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the custom was is that if Naomi was still of the childbearing age and she still had her husband alive, if she had any more sons, then the next born son would actually marry the first widow. But she goes... Because of the Jewish culture, Yes, because right? of the Jewish culture. Yeah. And she goes, uh, even if you guys wanted to stick with what our culture says, I'm not having any more kids. Yeah. And even if I did, you'd be having to wait at least eighteen to twenty years before he could pop that question. That's, that's kind of that's some cradle robbing <laughs> yeah. strangeness right yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. There there is another story like that um that we find way earlier in the Bible that comes up later on in the genealogy, but we don't need to mention that right now. It's just it's just wild. And and yeah. she recognizes that and she's like, listen, y'all are y'all are in the prime of your life and I don't want to rob your Um, your time of being able to find a husband and live happily. So please go. Yeah. Go back with your
1: people. Mm -hmm. And um, it it was the, the most logical thing to do really uh, in the situation. But Orpah and Ruth basically say, no, we're going to come with you. There, There seems to be this awkward back and forth between them and Naomi says, listen, there's absolutely no reason for you to follow me. Your husbands are dead. There's no way that, like you said, I'm going to be able to bear children. And even if I did, you're not going to wait that long. Mm-hmm. And so um, she says, go back to your people. And at this point, we see Orpah takes her up on this offer. Mm-hmm. she uh, It's almost like she was trying to be modest at first by initially saying she'd stay. But then uh, first chance beyond that, she deuced out.
0: Yes, yeah. And, and it's even sad because we'll mention this, I think a few times, but in that verse where she's saying, no, please go. She says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Yeah, And this is one of several statements where she kind of starts calling out things that are happening in her life. And I think there's a danger of that, of like saying, God did this to me Yeah, because she just, she has the, she's starting to do it in my mind developed this complex of like, uh, we shouldn't have come here and, and now like God's got his fist against me.
1: An ecclesiastical yes. viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that that's that's not hard to do whenever your world is turned upside down like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. For all of us, you know. No, you're right. And I will um, mention one thing. Um, I take it that many generations of Jews after um, this story had taken place were very upset with Orpah for this action because I did see, and keep in mind this is extra-biblical Jewish hearsay but they claim that after she left naomi's side orpa went on a rebellious binge where she slept with over a hundred men and a dog in a single day oh yeah i, I did see that in one spot wow that it's ancient like they were so down on her for what she did I, I don't know if that was made up but i did see that in one area so would that have been
0: forced upon her or no, was she that, that was did it choice. willingly? Okay. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: like she was that rotten of a person. Oh,
0: wow.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, highly promiscuous, if true. If needless, that's the case. Needless yeah. to say. Huh. Um, and one more extra biblical thing that I saw was that um, Goliath might have ended up being the lineage of Orpah, where David was the lineage of Ruth. Oh, wow. So while
0: extra biblical,
1: if it were true, that's a pretty wild scenario. <laughs> yeah.
0: We meet again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow that if if that's the truth then we're that's going to make a cool movie in heaven.
1: Oh yeah. You know? For sure. <laughs> Once it, we find out. It was extra biblical both yeah, of those things, but that yeah. is um some some ancient Jewish hearsay.
0: Huh. Wow. Just because of the way that she's acting and I mean I know people can change the moment that their situation changes but she seems so regretful to leave. I mean, and not that she's she's choosing to leave, but it's in a spirit of like sadness and weeping and And uh, so, I mean, if that's the case, that's just wild. Yeah,
1: for real. Anyway, um, from this point, we see Naomi try one more time to persuade Ruth to follow in her sister's footsteps by returning to her people in Moab. And um, after this last effort from Naomi, she, she stops trying to persuade her because she can see that Ruth, um, she's not going to go anywhere. No. She wants to follow her.
0: Yeah, it's like an epic speech, too. Yeah. It's the, it's the gladiator speech of all girls. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Should we read
1: it? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. Um, so Ruth said, do not plead with me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you will sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and worse, if anything but death separates me from you. And that's just an amazing thing to say. Yes. I mean, it's such dedication, Uh, and Ruth had it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I really like the word um that it says earlier is that she clung to her. Yeah. And it's the same word that it's used when it says um for this reason a man shall leave uh, his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And it's that same idea of her just holding on white knuckled in a sense. I am not letting you go. And then later on, it says when Naomi realized that she was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And that word determined means strongly minded or in, um, the hebrew it's ah which i guess is exactly the same word that joshua says when he said um be strong and of good courage Mm. and it's like that whole just i have made up my mind and i'm with you and i think that's why naomi was like all right let's just go (laughs) 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 she's like i can see that i am not
1: gonna make your i'm not gonna change your mind at this point, I'm sure she's so just worn out and tired from the last 10 years and and what has happened. And she's just like, let's just, let's just get the show on the road.
0: My question is, is is, it implies that they left Moab, but on the road is when she's like, you know what? Y'all shouldn't be making this trip with me. My question is how far did they get before she's like, uh, you all need to go back.
1: Yeah. That's a good question. So,
0: and, and I also wonder with, Orpah is like, was she excited to go back to the gods of Moab? Because the assumption is for 10 years, she's been living um, under the the worship of yeah. Jehovah.
1: A lot of commentators I saw were, uh, well, and I know they differ, but uh, I saw that they, a lot of them thought that she was, mm. you know, kind of that, that Jewish mindset of this is a rotten, but I don't know. We don't know the heart. Yeah. But um, it was a choice she made. Yeah. Okay, so we see next that Naomi and Ruth arrive to Bethlehem, and they find that they're the talk of the town because of the story and how it's progressed so far. Uh, Apparently, people had heard of Elimelech dying along with the two sons, and everyone is just kind of awkwardly greeting them as they enter town. And uh, Naomi decides to address the elephant in the room right away uh, by basically saying, don't call me Naomi anymore. Uh, Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because of how God is allowed when you you know you mentioned it God is she kind of views the situation as God has turned his back on her his mm-hmm. his hand is against her, and so she she wants to take on the name Mara, which yeah. which means bitter, it's a sad deal, but she i mean she's one of those straight shooters that doesn't beat around the bush at all, and so it, it's just this accepting her new situation the way it appears to her. Um, with Ruth by her side, and, and they're entering Bethlehem during the time of, of barley harvest, we see.
0: Yes. Yeah, which is really sad because her name originally Naomi means pleasant. Oh, yeah. So she went from pleasant to bitter. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's easy to dunk on her here because of what she's saying, but I know she's been through the ringer and she's still standing. And I mean, she's even returned to where she knows there's going to be a lot of gossip and potential slander about what's gone and her situation. And I don't necessarily agree with all the times that she said the Lord is moving against her, but I have to commend her because she's still moving forward. And mm-hmm. she realizes where the help was going to come from of returning to the house of bread, of coming back to God's promised land. And so I know before I was like, don't say that, you know, uh, it's just, it's one of those things where you keep going, um, stop saying the Lord has afflicted me yeah. or the almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Cause I, I I'm gonna wrap this back into my application, but I think there's so many people that attribute all these things to God that He's never even necessarily done. Where like God did this to me, God afflicted this upon me. Um, why did you allow this to happen? And, and, yeah. and God's like, I didn't do any of that, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's there's gonna be some cool tie-ins with that. Yeah. Okay, so um, next we see uh, chapter two of Ruth, uh-huh. and uh, we get an even deeper look into Ruth's character as we're introduced to a wealthy relative of Naomi's late husband, whose name is Boaz. And we see that Ruth does not have a, a spirit of apathy or dependence. Um, as they're going into this this new territory, because she asked Naomi's permission to go work, to yes. go glean in the field. She's yeah. like, I'm here. I'm not just going to be this girl in the house, you know, or anything. I want to go work. I want to I support yeah. Uh, myself. And yeah. you even, probably.
0: Yeah. She she realizes that she's the one who's probably the most active. And so she's like, I got to get out there and try to at least figure out a way to put food on the table.
1: Yeah. And specifically, what she has to do was to go glean in the fields. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is where the poor were allowed to follow behind uh, those who harvested the grain and pick up what fell on the ground. Because what fell on the ground, it was considered unclean, at which you know point the poorest of the poor would be able to pick up that food for survival. Yes. Even being Jews, where it's still unclean for them too, they needed to survive. So um, this was a very low position for someone, but it's definitely noteworthy that Ruth had the initiative to go provide for herself even if it was considered low
0: well and it was the jewish welfare system too that's true because that's true. uh the bible specifically states that they weren't allowed to go back a second time and harvest anything that was on the ground
1: that's true yeah it was put in place that yeah. way.
0: yeah and so poor people they had a way to provide because of that
1: yeah that is yeah good point and we, we just see pretty clearly by what happens next that God is orchestrating so many puzzle pieces to make these divine appointments come together. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, so what, what happens next, Josh?
0: So, uh, as the Holy spirit has led her and she's like putting out her finger going, I'm going to go that way. Yeah. And she ends up at a field that actually belongs to Boaz. Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, so we find out that he's a great employer. As he gets there, he greets his harvesters and he's like, the Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. And, and they answered back to him and, and you can just see that they're, uh, they're pretty well taken care of. I think they don't have enmity for their boss. And then he sees this really cute girl, you know, her name actually means beauty in some former fashion. And he's like, Hey, Who's that?
1: (laughs) You know, this next portion of my notes, I actually titled Boaz Has Puppy Love. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, he spots Ruth in the fields and he has that first, what some people call shallow, and sometimes it is, but he has that first taste of attraction towards Ruth. And this moment should be, you know, familiar to anyone who's married or even dated someone before. I'll never forget the first time I saw Vanessa, I was like, oh, snap, I don't (laughs) care how it happens, but I've got to figure out a way to see this girl again. Yeah. And that's exactly what
0: Boaz does in this situation. I actually have a note in my Bible that says Yowza. Yowza? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> brown chick. Brown yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But basically, Boaz asked his servant who this chick is out in the field. And remember, when the poor would glean in these fields, they would just follow random harvesters from field to field. And what that means is that they would find themselves in the fields that belong to many different owners. So Ruth just so happens to be in the field of Boaz as he's going by. And Boaz and Ruth have this dialogue together in verses 8 through 13. And I thought it'd be best to to just read those straight out of Scripture to get the full impact of, of what's going on. Yes.
0: Before we do that, can I mention one thing? Yeah. That uh, they pointed out who she is to him. But then they also point out how respectful that she is because she came over to the overseer of the harvesters and she said, please let me glean and gather from among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And so even though it was the right of those in the welfare system to come and to come behind the harvesters, she was still being respectful to even just say, hey, is this all right? Yeah,
1: that so. is noteworthy and it, it was noteworthy to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. just
0: hard worker, full of respect. So, yeah. Which
1: in that almost and then that kind of kind of shows why he might have fallen for her like he did mm-hmm. as we go through this because um he, she was acting almost better than their people Yes. as far as how polite she was yeah. in the fact. Yeah. So, it just speaks a lot on her character. Yes. But anyway, I want to read 8 through 13. It's it's a little chunk, but I thought it's really it's really cool thing to read i
0: think that for was the my context. nickname in high school what little chunk <laughs> i'll just play it. <laughs> i just thought of the goonies for some reason yes yeah <laughs> That's the great. truffle shuffle okay
1: <laughs> all right here we go then boaz said to ruth listen carefully my daughter do not glean in any other field furthermore do not go on from this one but join my young women here keep your eyes on the field which they reap Go after them. Indeed, I have ordered the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? I am a foreigner. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. "'May the Lord repay you, and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge.' Then she said, "'I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your servant.' though I'm not like one of your female servants. Mm -hmm. All right. Unless you were completely blind or maybe just as pitiful as I was talking to girls as a teenager, you have to see the crazy chemistry going on between these two lovebirds, even with this ancient language. Yeah, I mean, Boaz, he's committing premeditated tactics of keeping (laughs) Ruth near,
0: (laughs) is he not? Yes. Yeah. And he's doing a lot to protect her. He's doing a lot to provide for her. And then there's a couple of things that, I mean... Again, I've read this story multiple times. There's things that I found out today that I'd never known before. Because first and foremost, when he says, stay here with the women who work for me, watch the field where the men are harvesting and then follow along after the women – Uh, He's allowing her to actually step up her game and she's getting um, the first fruits of the 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 welfare picking, because what would happen is the harvesters would pull the grain off that they worked for Boaz. But then the young women worked for him as well, because they would be the ones that come along and bundle it up. And he says, stay with them. And so as they're doing that job, she's actually collecting, you know, so she's getting the cream of the crop. Yeah. And then also uh, he says, go and get a drink from the water of the jars the men have filled. And the implication there is that most of the servants would have to draw their own water because it's like, we're not, you know, what is this? A restaurant, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to get your own. And what he's <laughs> saying is, oh, don't worry. We got, you know, unlimited refills for you. You just bring your cup and you're good to go. Yeah. And I mean, that would have been quite a, um, not a inconvenience, but it would have definitely been something for her to have to draw her own water versus just saying, uh, another cup, please. Yeah. No I mean, kidding. that's a big deal.
1: Yeah. He's really opened the floodgates here for her. Mm-hmm. And through the next series of verses, we see that Boaz, he let Ruth come near and dine with him as she dips her bread in, in vinegar, which is it's almost like this romantic <laughs> dinner. Yeah. Ancient dinner. I don't know. What what would it be likened to, Josh? Uh,
0: Lady in the Tramp.
1: Yeah, very well. That's very good.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking of the French restaurant. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they, if only they had spaghetti. But, um, yeah, so just a super, uh, like, little romantic moment as she's dipping her bread in the vinegar. And, and then Boaz instructs his servants not only to let Ruth glean in the fields, but he instructed those servants to purposely slip out more grain. Um, as they harvested, so that she could get even more as she gleaned. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, going the extra mile to yeah. make sure she's not only taken care of and protected. But uh, because it it could have been dangerous or it was dangerous in those days as they as these poor people gleaned, there's fights. There was things like that. Like you said, he had her uh, she had his protection. Yeah. And then but it wasn't just protection. He went the extra mile.
0: Well, and to think that she's a beautiful young lady out in the middle of a field. Uh, Yeah, for sure. There could be somebody that has really bad sexual intention with her as well. Exactly. Exactly. And so for him to say, first of all, don't go to anyone else's field. And then I've instructed my men to watch after you and to stay with my women. There's a like he's forming this big old circle of protection around her yeah. to make sure that she was going to be safe.
1: That's right. And so she she gets done eating um, the bread and then she goes in and, and gets all of her gleanings. <laughs> and uh, we see that that Ruth um she gathers all that she can carry to go back and see Naomi.
0: Yeah, and and the Bible calls it an Epha, which uh, the NIV in the footnotes says was about 30 pounds or 13 uh, kilograms. And I thought, man, that's pretty awesome that all of a sudden, after this day of gleaning, even though she's been out there all night or all up until the evening, she's coming home just like, I got a lot of food. Yeah. And not only that, but then she also busts out the grain that was roasted that uh, Boaz shared with her for dinner. And she's like, Naomi, I've got dinner for you. Yeah. And I mean, again, it shows that she's a hard worker. She's responsible. She's respectful. And now she's making sure that she's taking care of Naomi.
1: Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Mm hmm. And and so Naomi obviously sees that she's been working because of all this. <laughs> yeah.
0: She brings her all of this. Uh, I bet her eyes are popping out of her head. <laughs>
1: Where did you get? Did you steal that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: Ruth was like, it was a fantastic day. I met this guy named Boaz. He's invited me to stay close to his servants and glean in his fields until harvest um, is over. And uh, Naomi lets her in on the secret. She says, "You know, Boaz is one of our relatives. Uh, more specifically, mentions that Boaz is one of their redeemers. Oh, yeah, which which is the next portion that we're going to see. There's a a lot of really cool stuff with that.
0: Yes, yeah. And and I just relaying all these things. Naomi is just like, oh my gosh, God's in this, and yeah. she's all excited and uh, and. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to go with this plan. I'm going to stay close to Boaz. I did want to point out about Boaz is the very beginning of the chapter says that um, this expression rendered as a mighty man of wealth is elsewhere translated as a mighty man of valor, uh, which is the same thing that's used talking about Gideon in Judges chapter, I think, 13. Um, But this is what one commentator says. He said, we perhaps get the force of it, of this Expression by thinking of it for our word knight. Okay. That's K-N-I-G-H-T. okay. So like that he was to Ruth a knight in shining armor. Oh, wow. And that's really how he was. And I thought, wow, what a great picture for Boaz. Because as you cover this chapter, you realize that God is setting him up to be a image of jesus yeah and again it's just it's neat about how this book all ties together and what god is doing through it and so to think about how that was related to naomi and she's just like ah, you yeah. know <laughs> this
1: is great yeah the,
0: the bitter woman is starting to break out of her shell. yeah exactly yeah, yeah.
1: so that concludes chapter two and moving into chapter three um This next scene is is where Naomi, in her extensive experience in knowing how to handle men, helps Ruth approach Boaz. And Naomi mentioned that Boaz was a redeemer earlier, and she was referring to the fact that um, Boaz, being a relative of her late husband, was in line to accept her as his own. Because, you know, if, if a man died, it was his brother's duty mm-hmm. to take over so his lineage and his name could carry on. Yeah. And that's kind of what a redeemer was. It, it also worked that way with
0: land and yes. possessions as yeah. well. And at first I'd asked, why wouldn't he marry Naomi? But the answer yeah. was, is she was too old and she wasn't going to be able to bury any children. So the lineage wouldn't have carried on if, if the redeemer had married Naomi.
1: Yes, yeah, that's that's a good thing to point out too. And um, Naomi knew that there was there was a certain way of going about um, th- this whole thing with with Ruth and Boaz in order not to seem uh, tacky or out of line. And what we see next might seem a little risque to us <laughs> in, in modern context, but it, it was totally the appropriate thing to do considering this context. And uh, Naomi instructs Ruth to wash herself to anoint herself, put on her best clothes, and then wait until Boaz has, has gotten done eating and drinking that evening and is good and loose and goes <laughs> to crash out for the night. And uh, she tells her to then go lay at Boaz's feet when he goes to lay down. And that's what Ruth does, isn't it, Josh? Why, why don't you walk us into this scene?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so contextually we understand that a couple months have gone by. Because when they first get back to Bethlehem, it says that was when the barley season had just begun. And now they're already at the winnowing uh, on the threshing floor. And so that somewhat suggests that a couple of months have gone by. And I really love what Naomi says there is that she says, I must find a home for you that you'll be provided for. And another translation of the word says, I must find rest for you, yeah. which when you look at it um, from the, the allegorical standpoint, it's like, yes, that's so awesome. Awesome. Yeah. But she does. She gives her this instruction to wash, put on perfume. And uh, so many of us take modern plumbing for granted because we're like, I took a shower uh, this morning. And then this evening, if I got sweaty or smelly or stinky from working out. Well, in these times, they didn't have access to things like that. So their typical um, arrangement for cleaning themselves probably was wiping themselves off with a wet cloth. Whereas washing did insinuate going and actually taking a bath, which was kind of a rare occasion. It was like yeah. we get one of those on on Saturday once a month you know yeah. and and this was a special deal and i just I thought that was really neat to point out because this instruction is really about preparing herself to present herself to, you know, and nothing scandalous, like you said, not yeah. not in a sketchy way, but to say, I have the intention of showing you what the plan is.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I I thought it'd be cool to just read 8 through 13 right here. Yes, please. Just the whole scene. And, and it does, it sounds odd to us, but this is contextually, you know, appropriate for what's going on. So I'm just going to read it starting in verse 8. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. This is Boaz. <laughs> so he said, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your slave. Now spread your garment over your slave, for you are a redeemer. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. So now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you say, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. But now, although it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is also a redeemer more closely related than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So Boaz is like, I want you, girl. I want you back. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to play this out right if it's going to work because there's someone closer in the lineage that has legal rights over you. Um, and, and this is where we see Boaz get involved with a scheme of his own.
0: Yes. And I can't help but just think about how this would look in modern context. Like if you um, were really in love with somebody from your young adult small group and y'all went camping <laughs> and, and you decided uh, that you were going to go and, and like in the in the main sleeping area, everybody's in their sleeping bag. You go and you unzip the bottom of their sleeping bag yeah. and uncover their feet so their feet start to get cold. And then you lay right next to them yeah. and they wake up and they're like, uh, can I help you? <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying as a man. That would have given me some help in implicating oh she she really is digging what I'm what I'm putting down. <laughs> we we
1: would have gotten in a lot of trouble for that on a band trip back in high school. Yeah. I'm just gonna say
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I think they would have gone, What are y'all trying to pull here? Yeah. Because it is very um It's odd to us. It is. But it's also very, I think, pure. Because it, again, yeah. there there is like, oh wow, you know, a, an unmarried woman and an unmarried man and yeah, she's oh, laying yeah. at his feet. But there was no impropriety. No. There was no hanky-panky. No, there wasn't.
1: It, and there was, there was a, a, a lot of ceremonial way of doing things back then, and it, it was a statement back then that we honestly just can't get now. Yes.
0: How old am I that I just said hanky-panky?
1: Oh, I still say hanky-panky. Oh, okay. Well, from time to time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not too, do they not say that anymore? I, I do not know. You know. I We're so old, we don't know the new lingo. But yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Someone out there knows it. There you go. <laughs>
0: okay so movie- one more thing uh, I just think it's awesome that uh, Boaz is like no matter what happens if he says no I'm in this and, and again it's the continuation of the love story because he's like I'm I'm ready
1: yeah, yeah, that's true. He, he he obviously is interested.
0: Yeah. And then I like that she goes back to Naomi and she goes, how did it go? Yeah. And she tells her and, and he's like, she also gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Yeah. And the, the joy of the next sentence of saying, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until this matter is settled today.
1: Yeah. And I I get this picture of, you know, how girls talk, you Mm -hmm. know, she's
0: always like, what happened? What did you say? You know, they're doing
1: their whole thing. And she's like, listen, let's see how this plays out. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. She's got a level head on her. If you're watching a Hallmark movie, this is act three. This is that was the (laughs) end of act two going right into act three. The uh, climactic ending. Yeah, for sure. So this next
1: scene is one that makes me think that maybe Boaz read The Art of the Deal because the savvy tactics (laughs) that he uses to get Ruth are very sly. Uh, Boaz basically goes to the city gate where he knows this other relative, Redeemer, would be walking by. And when he sees him, he says, hey, come over here. Yeah, And he sits him down along with the other elders and he's like... You know, I'm sure you've heard our our late brother's widow Naomi is in town, and there's this field that now needs to be claimed. And since our brother's dead, uh, you're the next in line. I think you should go ahead and redeem it, unless you don't want it. That way, I can redeem it. You know, he kind of lays mm-hmm. it out in that way, yeah. doesn't he, Josh? Yes,
0: yeah. I mean, he's at the city gate. That's where the the town council met. That's where the wise men seem to sit. And he's like, I. I I got this,
1: and it was very strategic that the elders were there mm-hmm. and the people and everyone's yeah. there at once as witnesses. Yes, to this conversation. Yeah, because
0: he's about to make a bold declaration. Oh yeah, but he is coming about it a very interesting way. Some people have criticized him for this, but I I agree with you. I think this is the art of the deal. Yeah.
1: And of course, just as planned, uh, the other redeemer is like, "Well, of course, I'll, I'll redeem this money-making field. I am, <laughs> after all, the next in line."
0: Yeah, you uh, know, ancestral land. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'd I'd love to have that.
1: Uh, thank you for bringing that to my attention. You know, and Boaz is like, "Excellent." Well, now we have a definitive verdict on the matter before the elders and the people here. You know, today, and just before the deal um, seems to be closing, Boaz turns and he's like, "Oh." one more thing on the day that you receive the field as your own. There's also, you know, our brother's widowed Moabite wife that you must take as your own because that's part of your duty. Yeah. And, and he's like, Wait, wait, wait. Hold on now. What? <laughs> He's like, I, I wasn't aware of the wife. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know about the wife. <laughs> he said, this this won't do. You know, it's going to affect my inheritance. I can't be taking on another wife, especially yeah. Moabite. Yeah. And um, so after a second thought, Boaz, why don't you just go ahead and redeem that field after all? Yeah.
0: My, <laughs> my kids, they're already set for college. I, I can't divide all their stuff now, figuring all this out. Yeah. And Boaz is like... I I guess
1: I could. (laughs) Yeah,
0: if if that's how it's got to
1: be, I'll 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 do it. (laughs) Yeah, so suave. I mean, yeah, very very clever, and it goes off without a hitch. Um, and it does seem to me to be very, very well planned out. And, uh, what, well, who is Is it the A team? I love it when a plan comes together. Yes. Is, is that yeah. <laughs> Hannibal. That's right. So that's what it reminded me of, but yeah, it's so
0: clever. Yes. And in the intro, I promised somebody would hand someone a shoe. That's where this happens. Yeah, that was that's a, true. That yeah. was a cultural thing with them sealing a deal. Is he took off his sandal and he uh, he handed it to him.
1: Yeah, that's a yeah verse uh, in verse seven of where are we in chapter four now? Right? Yes. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, it says a man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and, and this was a way of confirming in Israel. Uh, that the redeemer had claimed uh, his, his redeemed items. Yeah. Yeah. I guess
0: it's like wherever my foot has landed. So yours, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But whatever it was, I, there was a, a saying that I guess came up in um, is either Deuteronomy or Leviticus where if the transaction was bitter, then you could also involve some spit into it. Oh, wow. But if it was peaceful, then you just did the shoe. Okay. Yeah. Well, I never heard that. That's really interesting. I, I wish I'd written it down because I've read it uh, just in passing in preparation for this, and now that I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, I should have. <laughs> I should have delved down more onto it.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> this was apparently peaceful because it was just the sandal. It looks like yes. And yeah. they did it in front of everybody, so everyone was a witness.
0: To yeah. It. And now he's standing up in his grandstand, and he's like, in front of all of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what happens next, Josh? Uh, So he does. He announces to all the elders, in front of all of you, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among the family or from his hometown today you are all witnesses yeah you get a wife and you get a widow. <laughs> no, I'm doing the Oprah oh, thing Yeah, not there <laughs> yeah, yeah he's like I get a wife and I get some land and I'm doing this because I am the kinsman redeemer yeah he's uh, making his declaration that he is fulfilling his duty
1: as as the redeemer.
0: Yeah, and they all say, we're all witnesses. And then it's really neat because they also agree with him. And they say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, which are, are of course, uh, matriarchs of the faith, who together built up the family of Israel. May the Lord have you standing in Epitha, Oh my gosh, that's a fun word to say. (laughs) And be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah.
1: Yeah. It, he really seems to have everyone behind him. Yeah. This oh yeah. Everyone's cheering this on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If this is the hallmark movie, now he and Ruth have taken to the dance floor, and yeah. everybody's like surrounding and doing the you know the slow clap or the cheer, and yeah. and, and it's getting very Beauty and the Beast like where they're just like, tell us all this time. <laughs> you know. I mean, they're really geeking out on this. That's great. <laughs> So Boaz took Ruth as his wife, and uh, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And, of course, Naomi, uh, now she's hearing from the women in the town who are saying, "'Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a Redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel.'" He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. She's the great-grandmother
1: of David. That's so cool. It is totally cool. Yeah. And I think it's just really cool at the end here how the, the tide is completely turned on Naomi because she is yes. she was so downcast and the Lord was against her and now everything has has kind of flipped on its head yeah. and she sees that God does have a plan no matter how dark it is God did come through in a big way
0: yeah I have a little bit of that in my application it might just be the exact same thing you just said so we'll see (laughs) (laughs) and now the thing that broke my brain what we've all been waiting for genealogy talk let's hear it so with Ruth I was geeking out because I was like hey Ruth is also mentioned a few times in the New Testament which in the case of Matthew chapter 1 it's a bit unusual and For the audience, quite shocking to find her listed as one of the four women named in the genealogy of Jesus because of how much of a male-dominated society Israel was during this time. Remember, to the proud Jewish men, it was males who carried on the family line. And yet, here are four ladies reminding us that God's grace can reach and change anyone in any situation. And so I'm going to go ahead and mention those four women real quick and... uh, I know that some of them we'll we'll be doing profiles on pretty soon. So one of them was Tamar. And uh, she played the harlot after wicked Ur and Onan died and Judah wasn't going to give her uh, any more sons. And so uh, he
1: he was not being a good redeemer. No, he he was not.
0: (laughs) And then you also have Rahab, uh, a prostitute that assisted the children of Israel in the battle of Jericho and became by faith a part of the Jewish nation and was recognized in the hall of faith from Hebrews 11. Remember her name because it's important in this. And then you have Ruth. And uh, of course, we just told her story. And then you have Bathsheba, and we know that she committed adultery with king David and uh, if you don't know that story, I would invite you to check out the first profile that we ever did right. which was on King David. It's two parts, but i I believe it's really good, yeah, I thought it was really neat and i I don't want to go too far off the beaten path in this, but Matthew mentioning these four women. In the genealogy of Jesus was really challenging to uh, the Jews in a lot of ways. It was challenging to the Jewish view of their male moral superiority and their family responsibility. They were like, we're so responsible. And yet here Judah is like, oh, look, a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and uh, not even uh, upholding his part of the, the agreement. And then uh, Rahab was challenging the Jewish view of their own sexual purity because again, here is a woman of ill repute or a prostitute that God was able to redeem and include in the lineage of Jesus. And then Ruth, you had uh, challenging the Jewish view of their racial superiority, because here comes a Gentile. And now she is part of the lineage of Jesus. And then Bathsheba was challenging the Jewish view of idolizing their most famous champion and king. And I know that... um, and we're just talking about genealogies right here but i have to confess that at least an hour or two of my study time got devoted to this because it broke my brain for a hot second and so this is this is where it went because the genealogy of matthew says and it reads a lot like it does here at the end of the book of ruth it says judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was tamar Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab; Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, there she is again, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife Bathsheba. So this is a passage that I've read quite a bit of times and never caught that in order for this genealogy to be complete, it would need quite a few more names because Rahab being Boaz's mom didn't make any sense to me. So it sent me down this study rabbit hole, making sure that the Bible didn't have any major contradictions or discrepancies. Because right here, I was like, oh my gosh, Yeah, I've read this so many times, but I've never put anything together. That don't line up. Yeah, and and let me explain it. So Rahab lived among the Israelites in what we would say is like 1405 B.C., and she married uh, Salmon shortly afterward. Now, we talk about King David, who in this uh, story, if you looked at this genealogy, he would be the great-great-grandson of Salmon and Rahab. Now, he was born in or around 1040 B.C., so right there, that's yeah. 360 years difference. It's a gap. These dates create havoc if you read this as a complete genealogical list. I should know. I have hair missing to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can plausibly estimate that the child of Rahab and Salmon was likely born around 380 BC, if not before. Thus, the three generations from the birth of Boaz to the birth of David would have spanned somewhere around 340 to 300. years. This would require each father to be 110 to 115 years of age on average at the time of the next generation's birth. Note that the longer age spans in the Bible ended centuries before. Uh, For instance, David only lived to be 70. Therefore, historical information suggests that there are skipped generations or gaps in this genealogical list. Possibly as little as five to as many as 12 generations were actually excluded from the Ruth genealogy. And for me, you're asking, why are we going into this? Because I feel like there are people out there that are wanting to disprove the Bible like haters that might look at this and say, I finally found an error in the Bible and you guys can't say anything about it because this is where the, the truth breaks down. Yeah. And and I wanted to say this because regarding any issues. It is relatively easy to demonstrate that the missing generations in a genealogical list does not represent a scriptural error. Remember, original languages, the same Hebrew or Greek words used for father or son, are also used for ancestor or descendant. And of the various purposes and functions of genealogies in Hebrew culture, we see that the author often included only the names that fit his specific purpose for a particular list. It is actually quite common for an author to deliberately omit names from a list known as telescoping in order to achieve a certain objective in the case of this particular list the author aims to relate boaz and ruth to a prominent ancestor perez the son of the patriarch of the tribe of judah to a very important descendant king david and ultimately to the coming messiah and and so these omissions are pretty much common that's what another commentary said
1: yeah, they really are. I, you know, looking into archaeology and whatnot, it was it wasn't just a Bible thing. If that's what you're thinking, like even the, in the ancient times, it was very common to highlight certain characters in a genealogy. Because it was familiar to the people of the time. Mm-hmm. And even even now, looking back on history, we see those highlighted characters because we, we've seen them in archaeology yeah. and all that. So that's yeah. a very – and I even look back just um, a few verses back in, in verse 13 of chapter 4. It talks about Boaz and Ruth had a child. And um, – In in verse 16, it says a son has been born to Naomi. It Mm -hmm. was just highlighting the fact that this lineage is continuing and and it's choosing characters to show where, you know, which direction it's going. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's a that is a predicament, though, if you were to just read Matthew and you're aware of the timeline, you're like, whoa, yeah, that's weird.
0: Yeah. Uh, honestly like i said it broke my brain for a little bit and i just (laughs) i needed to study it because i want to make sure that if anyone ever asked me that i actually have an answer for that and yeah and that's kind of why i went into it for this because if you're like well that was a good profile until the dude started talking about really snorry things this is something that we need to at least be able to contend with if anybody ever asked you and and you know, the more that I find out about scripture, the more I'm like, "Oh, that's really compelling. I, that's something I never knew before, and I wanted to learn that."
1: Yeah, so, yeah. No, that's a good thing to point out. Yeah, very interesting too.
0: Yeah. Um, so I thought we could end this profile with a little bit of application. Do you have anything that you wanted to go ahead and say about Ruth?
1: Well, there is. There's a lot of application that we can take from so many different characters. Boaz, obviously, the man he was, and all mm-hmm. that. But I guess it, it, this is kind of unique in this story for me that I just thought about um, over the years through small groups and and going to church with different people uh, that I've met along the way. I, I think of of a lot of women out there um, that have had their husbands die. Uh, there's been a divorce, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And I, you know, I come from a divorced family. I watched my my parents um, in their thirties to where they had to start over in in the middle of their life. And there's a lot of, of women that I thought of as I read this story out there that um, maybe you're going through something like that where uh, your husband's died or you got a divorce and you're having to start for whatever whatever the situation is. I just, I mean, this is an awesome story to see a, a, a woman that's very old in age and, and a woman not as old as her, you know, having to turn turn and go back to a whole... New, maybe that's, you know, relatable to you moving back, you know, to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Or There's just so much I thought that was relatable for someone that's going through something like that in the middle of their lives that, that God can literally turn what looks like just a dark tunnel of nothingness Mm -hmm. into, into light, a little bit of hope at the end of it. And he can pull you through it. And I, I just, that's the main thing that stuck out for me. Obviously there's a lot of application that can be brought out, but I've just met a lot of, of people through the years, uh, women who have gone through that kind of thing that in the middle of their lives, they just almost want to give up. And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I thought that was a cool thing to point out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is, um, because it is a very personal story and there is a lot you can um, glean from it in terms of just relationships. Yeah. Um, So I'll go uh, as well. One of the things that I saw, especially with uh, Elimelech is right off the bat, I, I feel like it was a misstep to leave Bethlehem for Moab. And God used it because all of a sudden, now here comes this Moabite, Possibly princess that's included in the genealogy, and she met her Boaz and all those things. But um, I would just say if you're a Christian and you're going through a difficult time, don't run off. God is with us even in the fire. And that's one of the most awesome verses that, you know, uh, it's in Isaiah. And he says, when the water overflows, I'm walking with you. Even uh, in the fire, I'm with you. And it's better to walk with God into the unknown than to walk alone into the known. Yeah. And, and I feel like there's just so much there of saying, Elimelech, your culture, your nation had been brought through so much to get to that promised land. Don't abandon it. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know what that looks like for each individual person, but I know for me, it's when hard times come, where do I run? Do I run to God saying, "I believe that you're going to be with us in this situation with me and my family, or do I feel like you've abandoned us, and I have to go completely outside of everything and and look for it so that was that was one of the applications that I saw.
1: yeah, that's a really good one very relatable to all of us, yeah, because we all go through those seasons, yeah.
0: Another thing that I saw was uh, in regards to Naomi, and I think I mentioned this or or uh, said I was going to say something about it, is I would just caution, don't always assume that God is against you. Sometimes life is just really hard, and sometimes we even make poor or foolish decisions, and, and there are what we call life's natural consequences that we have to abide by, Um You know, I just saw Naomi constantly saying, the Lord's fist is against me or uh, the Lord has brought this calamity upon me. And I feel like there are people out there that really um, feel like God is is against them. And, And I think there's a danger in that mindset because... That's not what the New Testament teaches about God at all. It says that he is for us and not against us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And and Hebrews does say that at times the Lord chastises us or he disciplines us but um there is a difference between discipline and punishment discipline is always for a purpose of learning and uh and i feel like sometimes he allows us to go through those natural consequences of like well (laughs) that that wasn't fun but i just i would caution you know if if you've ever been like oh god did that to me you know I, i just i think there's some dangerous theology in that thinking
1: can be yeah
0: yeah yeah that's good uh And then I also just wanted to end talking about the kinsman redeemer, because I think this is such an awesome picture of Jesus. And I think he was, (laughs) uh, you remember when, um, I think it's in the movie that I saw, but it's Babe Ruth and, you know, he went out to call his shot and he, he was pointing over the, the outfield wall and he's going to hit a home run. I think Ruth is completely God calling his shot in the old Testament, telling us what's going to happen in the future, because all of a sudden here is this woman who's a Gentile who has no business, um, being redeemed coming in. And all of a sudden she's, uh, finding her redeemer and he's excited. And he's like all about this. And he's, uh, and he's bending backwards and pulling all these strings and, 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 it's just a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us yeah. as as Gentiles of saying I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to make sure that you are accepted and you're welcomed into the fold. And I just, I can't help but just geek out because that's where my Hallmark movie ends and the tears are rolling. And I'm just like, oh, that was so good. I can watch that over and over because that's why this love story, I think, um, resounds with so many people. Because it is a really healthy picture of God's redemptive plan extended beyond the Jews to receive the Gentiles
1: yeah it's an awesome preview no doubt the reason that this was included in the in the line yes
0: yeah for sure so So cool yeah so that's our profile of Ruth. I hope we didn't miss anything. I know that there's some application that we could have done with uh, making fun of their names, but you know, that would just be ruthless. So nice. There it is. <laughs> I knew you'd sneak one in there. Well, we talked about the Boaz ones, but you've seen them online. You, you don't need us to say them. So <laughs> find your Boaz. Yes, that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So if we did miss anything, please let us know. Or if there's someone that you want to have us profile reach out and let us know through uh you can let us know through social media you can reach us on our facebook or send us a direct message on facebook you can even email us if you still do that thing uh it's uh connect at basnakebird.com we'd love to hear from you and if these are helping uh your growth in the lord let us know it would really brighten our day to hear uh one of your testimonies and testimony sounds like such a christianese word it would really help to hear uh, just something from you saying, hey, this is impacting me or uh, changing my life or just helping me grow in my faith.
1: Yeah, and if you're not comfortable with reaching out that way, another way to help us is to give us a good rating on wherever you listen and uh, maybe even give us a, f- a few good words on there. That helps push the podcast out there, too. Yes.
0: And uh, that's, that's another way you can help us greatly. We'd be very appreciative. Yes, for sure. That'd be awesome. Uh, so, Snakebirds, always remember whatever you do. Wherever you go. No matter what life throws at you, even if it's death in Moab. There's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a snakebird. Bird.